Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. What is going on? I am here to introduce to you very quickly the newest and most recently recorded episode of Room 9 and, I might add, the very last episode I will ever record on these microphones because tomorrow my brand new audio recording equipment will be here and I'm super excited. It is only going to up the audio quality game of Room 9 and I'm super pumped to do that. Anyway, getting with the program here, get on over to room9podcast.com. Check out our contact page, fill out a form, stay up to date with our newsletters, our blog posts, our everything else that we like to release in there. You will get it and you will be able to read it in your email inbox. You could also uh, help out Room 9 by donating either with your time, money, or even social media shares, likes, posts, and comments. All of that is a huge help and that is really one of the biggest reasons for the success of Room 9 thus far. And the last kind of thing I want to mention is my video equipment is ordered. Not quite sure when it's going to be here, but that is going to be starting very, very soon. And I am extremely, extremely excited about that. So if you'd like to find out more about that, hit me up on LinkedIn, hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, get on the website, fill out a contact form, send me a message, and I'll have more information about that coming out very, very soon. And as far as this episode's concerned, I sit down with a guy I actually have known since the day I got into Horizon Village in Sanborn, New York, my long-term treatment facility. And he was in there, and I've known him since then. Had a great, awesome conversation with him. I've been in an Oxford house with him as well. And so it was really cool to sit down with him and have an awesome conversation about how he's finding success thus far in his recovery world. So other than that, I'm going to let you guys get to it. Make sure, again, you hit up room9podcast.com. If you're up for it, get on Apple Podcasts, get on Spotify, find Room 9, rate us, comment, leave a message. All of that is such a huge help and is greatly appreciated. So without further ado, here is a Room 9 podcast episode with a fellow in recovery, Jeremy Pager. Enjoy it. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out. People just keep canceling. It's just not worked out the last couple months. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. So it's been, it's kind of nice to have somebody in recovery on because obviously I want to give those people a voice too. Yeah, of course. I and mean, you were somebody I've been trying to get on just to kind of share your story and how you found success this time around because I know you've been in and out of the system for quite some time. In and out. I've, I've attempted this many times. I've tried every which way to uh, have a successful life and maintain having some kind of drug use. And uh, I'm one of those guys that has to try it every which way to try making it work <laughs> before I just accepted that. It's just a part of my life that I can't have while being successful, you know? Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people struggle with that. You know, you don't hear about in statistics very much. Some people do make it work. Some people abuse 
so many certain drugs and even the drug their drug of choice they can somehow manage to use in moderation yeah no and, there's or or they switch yeah so some people you know they'll be a heroin addict their life falls apart and they get their lives back together and then a few years later or whatever you know they start drinking and and partying and they might not go back to the heroin and some people actually can still live successful lives while partying on the weekends some of my good friends you know not to throw them under the bus, but like I have a couple of friends that are doctors. I have a couple of friends that work at colleges and they like to party and, and it's a little bit of everything, you know, they but they're very moderate when they do party and they don't party often, but they can live successful lives. And they went through times where like, you know, it was definitely on the side of abuse but they they catch themselves and realize this is what's going on and somehow get a hold of it. And I think watching them gave me a false sense of control, maybe, like thinking I can pull it off. But it's just, you know, it took me a long time to finally admit that, like, I, I can't cannot, do nothing. Yeah, yeah. I, it's either I be focused and try going towards having successful goals in my life or I party. It's it's either one or the other. One or the other. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've have been in that kind of thought process myself lately. But I have that sense of confidence, like, yeah, I could go back, but I just don't want to even do it at this moment. I've had too much going for me, and I don't even want to attempt it. But you see a lot of people it works for. I mean, a lot of people just stop on their own. and Honestly, you know. I get jealous of those kind of people, though. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I just seen the Disco Biscuits play two nights in Syracuse a few weeks ago. Um, I did the Sober Table over there. I don't know if people know, but there are very small amount of people that go sober it's a real big party scene and there was times where i thought to myself even at this point in my life like you can eat a little acid and just have fun tonight go back to aa in the morning and then like catching yourself mm -hmm. you're not like these people they all most of them go to work or they all have something going on in their lives but when you when i start i can't stop and it doesn't matter what it is and that's what took me so many years to figure out it's obvious that crack or injecting cocaine or even just cocaine in general or heroin destroy my life i knew that years ago accepting that drinking will bring me back to that took me so many attempts of trying to do that and so many failures before i just came to the realization it's either it's one or the other there is no sober secret. or party. Yeah, there, there. For me, at least, there is no secret formula. There is, you know, um, they say in AA, you hear a lot of meetings. Oh, I tried switching to wine. I tried staying away from the liquor, beer only. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, um, it's it's basically the same story, different person, but you and know. And eventually, it's just all back in. All I go, I go from zero to a hundred. So, but you know, this time seems like everything's going well. Um, yeah, I got to say, I was thinking kind of prior to us sitting down, I think, because you and I have butted heads here yeah. and there, because I've been, shit, when I went into the village, which was how long ago was that? Jesus. Oh, a year oh, and a half year ago? year and a half or yeah, so, maybe, yeah. a year and a half ago. It'll be two years of summer, I guess, yeah, so we're getting to about a year and a half. So I've known you since then, and then you ended up in the Oxford house I was at later on down the road, and I got to say, like, you were like out of the list of people, you know, we all put those yeah. lists of people in our heads, I was like, oh, Jeremy ain't going to last, and... 
I got to say, man, you you definitely have uh, shown me up and have taught me lessons just on myself for like judging people and throwing them in a category. And yeah, uh, I was really, especially my time at Horizon, I was antisocial just because I've been through a few times, and it seems like the more friends I make are just ends up being more people I can call to help me get drugs, do drugs, <laughs> and things like that. So, like, I was just so thoroughly beaten. I was just like, you know what? And I was sick of seeing people die. Like, I get close to someone, mm -hmm. and it's crazy, but, like, a lot of the people you meet in rehab or in the, you know, recovery process after, they die. And I was, I guess I was just so, I don't know how to put this. I was just so, like scared of I guess getting hurt that I just kind of close that down and just sat to myself but a big problem with me for a long time was I wasn't able to sit in a room by myself I had to have someone around I hated myself so much on the inside that I needed anything to distract mm. me if it wasn't shopping if it was just a conversation like I could not just watch tv by myself I would have so much of a better time just hanging out and, and bullshitting with someone because I wasn't reflecting on the lack of progress that I've made in my life, you know? I think that's one of the number one things people are using drugs to escape with is just their lack of self-love, self-acceptance. And that was the biggest thing for me I constantly talk about on this show is, you know, I knew in jail I had to change that because I would, nothing else was going to change before I changed my point of view on myself. And how, what did you like, what was your kind of process to getting to that point? So I kind of got stuck in this cycle where I've, I've definitely made some bad decisions as a child and I ended up dropping out of school and then, you know, watching the people that you went to school with get married, buy houses, have careers, go to college and me not really having anything to like be proud of definitely didn't help my depression. You know, it, it would just keep adding on top. And I'd get to this point where I'd start trying to, you know, go get a job or go to school. And then I would fail. I'd just stop. I wouldn't commit. I'd, I'd continue trying to party while doing it and not give it any real effort. And then from that failure adds up the depression. It adds up just the, the emotions that I didn't know how to deal with because I've been partying for so long. I've been masking those with use for so long that anytime I'd feel any which way, I didn't know how to deal with it except getting high. I would eventually break down, couldn't take it anymore and start using excessively on top of like the regular. And then, you know, I would get thoroughly beaten to the point where I end up in rehab because, you know, I've been trying to do this for like 10 years now. I'd end up in rehab. I'd be like, you know what? This is the time. Eventually get out and not really do anything except try to find a way to live and party at the same time. I've filled that void inside of me with selling drugs for a while. I used to justify it to myself. You know, th th this person went to college and he's making, you know, 50 grand a year and he's a sucker because I make a grand in six hours <laughs> or, you know, I justified myself. I got more money in my pocket. I don't owe tuition. I don't do this. But realistically, I was just trying to like bring people down to my level just because I just manipulated myself into believing it i mean at points i actually believed it yeah I th oh man i think all of us struggle with that i mean that's what makes a good liar you yeah fully believe it yourself the dude you're just talking about at the oxford house three negative i should say positive toxins, and yeah. he's still in denial it's like yeah. it's crazy how in denial we get sometimes like 
I have you on videotape stealing this. Here, watch the video. No, that's not me. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's... just straight denial. And I think that's a huge part that you know everybody that is struggling, at least in this area, is something they have to deal with. So let let me uh, let me go into my story a little bit. When I was younger, I definitely had some social anxiety issues. Um, I had a hard time feeling like I fit in. I had these big thick glasses and I got a big nose. I was very self-conscious. You know, my cousins used to fuck around with me. So how uh, old were you kind of when you had that? When it really started like bothering me, bothering me right around 12, right around 12, 13, you know, I always, you know, you get the traditional, you know, I always felt different from other people and, and that does go for me. So when I was around 13 years old, you know, I was skateboarding with my friends. I found hanging out with my friends I didn't feel as empty inside as long as I was distracted. I wasn't happy at home. In school, I always felt like I was just different. But when I was out with my friends having fun, all of a sudden I didn't feel that way. So that's all I wanted to do. You know, you find something that makes you feel good. That's that's what you chase. Around 13 years old, you know, when I got introduced to pot and was able to get it for other people in school at a young age, because, you know, it's not easiest to score a bag of weed at 12, 13 years old. I mean, it might be easier nowadays. But, like, back then, all of a sudden, finding more people want to be my friend in my social mm-hmm. circle, getting bigger, and people calling me to hang out and stuff like that. Yeah, it was because I had access to pot, but it still gave me that false sense of, you know... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, confidence, acceptance. Kind of, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, validation at, yeah. at a certain point. And through the years, that just grew. You know, I found out that if I have drugs, people want to be around me. And that made me feel validated. And as the years, it just grew and became a bigger problem. But I stuck with that solution for that problem for so many years, trying to mm-hmm. actually figure out what was causing all these things and it, you know it turned out to be fear i mean every t- any time i worked with my sponsor and we broken down what my feelings were during a, a point and what caused it it seems like it always comes down to fear it was either fear of not being accepted fear of failure fear of just even just having social anxiety you know when i was using i didn't really have that like i had the drugs and alcohol were like a social lubricant for me it worked great, to be honest. Now, well, drugs usually do in the yeah, beginning, and, yeah. and well, that's the problem. Or else they, you want to keep using yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, no, they work great for what you're trying to use them for. It's just the problem is, is you get stuck in that cycle and you don't find healthy ways to cope with things. Mm-hmm. But like immediately, it gives you a false sense of control. I don't like the way I'm feeling. I take this; it makes me feel better. I control how I feel, mm-hmm. and that's really not how life works. No, unfortunately, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, you bringing up fear, too. I th- a lot of people would argue that's always the case for every human being. Yeah. There's always a fear of something at the end of the rope. I think that's huge. It's crazy to me to think about being 12, and I'm trying to remember when I was 12 if I was that, because I just think of my son. Like, I hear that all the time for so many people, that such a young age, you can become so insecure. It's crazy. I think that's when, I don't know if the human brain, I just, I know they categorize it as adolescence around then. I think people don't realize how important those years are to someone growing and 
finding out how to deal with feelings, how to deal with disappointments and anxiety and social things like that. And people don't realize like how much children pick up from the older people around them. Mm-hmm. My parents, my Absolutely. my my uh, you know cousins, aunts, uncles, because you know my family's Polish. So in my family, you have a bad week at work, you drink vodka. You know it's Christmas, everyone's having fun, you drink vodka. It's been like the go-to and. The best way I can put it is my parents did the best they could while not being 100% healthy at the time either. Mm -hmm. You know, my entire family are addicts and alcoholics. My dad's a recovered alcoholic. My brother's in recovery. He's got multiple years now. My mom, she's, she's doing a lot better for herself than she was before. But, you know, they did the best they could while dealing with their own demons. You know, they immigrated here from Poland. They couldn't even speak English, you know, and they and they raised me and my brother and they did the best they could. It just don't think it was I, I don't want to put the blame on them, but I, it could have been better. I mean, in yeah. a perfect world. No, you know? I mean, and I think we all can go back and blame our parents. Yeah. For, you know, I look at my I always tell people you want to know the most about yourself watch your kids and watch your parents because you'll see reflections of you all over the place and you do you pick so much up and i think you hit the nail on the head i think as a society i think we really need to become more aware of how much of an influence from that age of probably eight to like 13 14 because that's when you think you start realizing you're separate from your environment completely yeah. You know, I think at five and six, you're still like, you don't even realize the separation the of things. There's whole world yeah. out there outside yeah, everything's of the house. so tiny yeah. still. And then all of a sudden you become older and then you're, you know, right that pre-adolescent, adolescent age, you really just. Well, you start, start, you know, stretching your legs out and really finding mm-hmm. out what the world is at the time. Like I didn't. Every advice my dad or my mom would give me, I'd be like, you guys don't know you're old. You know, you, <laughs> I got to figure things out for yep. myself. You guys are wrong, you know, or you're ignorant. It's great to figure out life that way in the long run. But if I would have actually listened and looking back at all, like the advice my family gave me was right. But I was just totally focused on feeling good right then and there. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was just being out with my friends made me feel good just not being me anything to not be me or to feel the way i normally felt i grasped onto i I hear that brother i mean that was even you know my early 30s being 30 working at this job where i'd walk into feeling like i'm just wasting my life away i'm much smarter than this what am i doing and then i got high at work and it's like oh uh, great, this job ain't so bad. You know, this isn't yeah. too bad. What's wrong? Why am I complaining so much? And then you just, yeah, you become used to that and used to that. And then it's like, the next thing you know, you're stealing from teenagers. So. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I wanted to, to cut back. So when I was, you know, saying about, you know, my family and how they did the best they could, it just wasn't enough. I just want to put an emphasis on this. Yes, it can be the cause but once you find out what the cause is, it's on you to make changes mm-hmm. and to learn. You could be ignorant from, and, and something can cause something, and the way you picked up on it, that is on them. But once you realize what's going on and how you can make efforts to change it, that's on you. You can't blame someone or a situation for 30 years because at the at a certain point, you realize what's going on. Or, you, I mean, maybe some people don't, but you got to find healthy ways to deal with it. Without dealing with it, it's, it's like you're always running, mm-hmm. you know? And you see a huge majority of grown-ups have not dealt with any of that. Yeah. And 
granted, some people don't use drugs to get away from that, but some people use so much other things, Netflix, shopping, whatever it is. So many people have something they're using to not face that, to not take responsibility for that. Food. Yeah, we just blame our parents, and I think every person could blame their parents blame their parents but i think it's an awesome point you mentioned like yeah once especially when you recognize it and you know it yeah it's your responsibility at that point to change something and do something about it no i totally agree and you know i have some mental health issues i'm stuck between this like nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. kind of argument because i think it's honestly both i think your environment growing up during that time can play a huge role in how you deal with things and pick up habits to get through situations. But at the same time, you know, I think studies, I mean, this is just assuming scientists are right, but you know, they're, they're saying that, you know, well, some people are actually born with a chemical imbalance and it's all nature. It's, you can't choose to be, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think everything has that, that balance in between and some yeah. people might need a little more you know, nurturing, and some people might need a little more naturing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong with nature. I have found the more I've been working with, like, treatment providers and people in recovery, and it's just such a tricky thing, dude. It's so individualistic and based on an individual, and every time you work with a different individual, talk with an individual, whatever worked for them is so different than from what worked for somebody else, or what didn't work for them is so different than what didn't work for somebody else, and it's just a very, very complicated thing when you start getting into this each person there's these generalizations but then there's every little experience that happened to me since a young age it's made me different has made things affected me in different ways and i mean it can do that for anybody i wanted to touch base to like what are the things that you've done differently this time that has kind of kept you going because how long do you have clean now Oh, over a year. Yeah. Over a year now. So you got a good run in you. Yeah. I mean, and you had, I think, a little slip up. So you yeah, had, I feel like you yeah. have even more time yeah. than that. I, out of the last three, four years, I would say I probably used three months. Yeah. So there was long stint, usually a short mess up. And then honestly, each time it was just like, I can't live like this. I'm either going to kill myself or I know I can do better. Mm-hmm. I just had to put in the work. And I just finally, like like I said earlier, I just finally accepted if I have to give, because like I, I definitely had fun going to festivals and partying with my friends and like, you know, there, there's definitely fun in it. But if I have to give up that to have my life flourish in other places, if I could start a career, you know, do the whole American white picket fence dream, you know, have a family, a home. Mm-hmm a career, you know, vacation a little bit. If I have to give up that lifestyle to make all these things possible, then it's an easy choice until you realize that it's either, well, for me, at least it wasn't until I realized it's either one or the other. There is no possible way to have both for me. It just, it was an easy choice. You know, I still question it sometimes all the time. I still, still think about getting high. I mean, I love getting high. It's just not worth the repercussions at this point. Will I stay sober forever? Who knows? But Mm -hmm. right now, I'm okay with myself. I love myself once again. Which I think is the number one most important thing. Yeah. For any of this to work, for anybody, I think that's where it has to start. For sure. I've definitely been a lot more into the spiritual aspect of things um, this time around, and that's helped immensely. Um, How so? Finding a bigger purpose. I was watching this documentary and, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about, you know, NASA, the Earth is flat, this stuff. But, like, it brings up a lot of good points. 
if you ever want to feel so small and useless, like picture yourself just being a person on a rock spinning around a sun out of millions <laughs> of planets in the star, in the galaxies and the stars, like your life is pointless, you know, to a certain extent in the grand scheme of bigger things. At the same point, the influence that you could have around people around you can make huge strides in progression towards the greater good of things. You know, you see those people out there that just help, like to help the homeless just because that's what they want to do. They go out of their way, they t- out of their free time, they take their money, you know, their resources, things that they could spend on themselves and help other people. Like, And just doing it just because that's what makes them feel complete or whole or give back is inspire, you know? Mm-hmm. And not looking for any anything back in return. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm real big into if I do any volunteering, I don't take pictures and post them on social media. I don't make statuses about it. I have mixed feelings about that because, like, I guess posting on social media could inspire other people to do it. So there could be some good from it. But at the same time, are you doing it because for your own validation mm-hmm. or are you doing it? to maybe start a trend to get other people doing it. Well, that's that's like the number one thing I think it comes down to when you're doing anything. And really, what are your true motives behind it? Yeah. That's all that matters, essentially. You know what your true motives are, and that's it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And that was something I've actually really have done in my head and really try to even do in my head constantly to this day, especially oh, having my own business now, having to make constant social media posts, constantly be out there and touching base with everybody in the area and just the world, essentially. And, you know, what are my motives for posting this? Is it to get so many likes? Yeah. You know, obviously I want to grow my business. I want people to start following and all that. So I need to produce this material. But what are my motives for doing it? Do I truly want to help people or is this about trying to make money? And, you know, I have to really find that balance myself all the time because obviously I need to put food on my table as well. So, you know, there's always that constant balance. And I think it always just kind of comes back to that. Well, you know what? Before before you picked me up, I was sitting there thinking like, Wondering what the purpose of the podcast was, like thinking like, you know, what was his intentions? And then like thinking about like, you know, what goes on in the podcast, what has happened? And I I thought to myself, I'm like, at the end of the day, this is his personal journey that he wants to take in. And this is just my, my thought, but that he wants to take in all the information out there and spread the information also while experiencing and sharing his experience Mm -hmm. to new things, you know, and and to put out his life experiences and, and other people's life experiences out there. So if people have questions, you know, they can at least get a look from an outside perspective. And Mm -hmm. I think it's great because there's no, there's a, there's a weird line between getting paid to help people and, helping people out of the goodness of your heart. I think that's where like the whole like rehab and corporation thing, it can, the line can be very gray, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, I know. Actually, I'll take this. This is a fact that some corporations will take people's best interests and throw them out the window to reach the sake of making money, making money to reach more people, Mm -hmm. which I don't agree with. But again, who am I? I'm not running a corporation. I haven't worked that hard, so I can't. My opinion on the matter doesn't make. Well, I think it does. And I think you're right. There's going to use the word balance again, because take, for instance, a place like, you know, the big 
treatment companies around here, Evergreen, Spectrum, Horizons, Best Self. You have how many hundreds of, sometimes thousands of employees who have families who need to eat, who need to get paid. I mean, you need to make money. You have to make money to sustain and keep going. In order to help people, you need to make money in this case. And at the same time, I think it goes back to the motives. What are your essential motives? Yes, you need to make money and get paid. Your time is worth money. I've had to learn how to do that with this business, man, is me learning how to do audio and video and all that. That is worth money to people. And I should be able to charge people for that that can afford to pay it because I need to eat. And my time's worth money. You know, my motives have never changed from my main reason for starting this is because I want people to know they're not alone. I want people to be able to follow my recovery from day one to now. I mean, since I've gotten, I was actually still in Horizon Village and I did two episodes for Room 9 with my roommate Andy at the time. I mean, so there's just that really, there is that fine line and you can get lost in it. I mean, I've I've shared with, I might have been on a recent episode here. I talked to somebody. I remember I was in at a doctor's appointment at Horizons and I caught myself in this judgy, like these four people in there, these judgy people as if I've never been this one of them. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like like I'm somebody special in here or something. And I really had to catch myself, dude, because it's so easy to get on the wrong side of that line. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I was actually having a conversation about, you know, the whole Oxford house and how it works, which I firmly believe Oxford house has saved my life. I will always recommend it. Um, We were talking about how, you know, the owner, you know, obviously the guy that owns the house is, you know, he collects rent and not to put any filter on there, but it definitely the, the rent isn't the cheapest, but at the same time for the state of the houses yeah, there are ways to make money and not help people mm-hmm. so i find it admirable if you can make money and help people like i said like you were saying it's a fine line but in the grand scheme of things if you're helping people and you can make money is better than just making money and not helping mm-hmm. anyone I found most of the help that I've gotten in my personal journey and growth has not came from someone that does it professionally. It was Bible studies. It was going to church. It was doing AA, working with a sponsor with a guy, you know, the guy would drive out to my rehab, take two, three hours out of his week to drive after working a 10 hour shift to come sit down with me and explain to me what a lot of these things mean. At certain points, I'm like, what is this guy getting out of this? I just, at the time, could not understand that someone would want to do this with their free time, you Mm -hmm. know, because I was just such a selfish person. Seeing that and knowing that and and having this guy tell me, oh, I was just like you, I would never think about anyone around me. And to to what he's doing now, it's it's inspiring. That's the, you know, the biggest thing in AA they always talk about. And I think NA is the same. You know, you give back, you know, you, you go through all the steps, you keep going through them, but you know, you share this with other people, you give back, you sponsor somebody. And I think the biggest reason for that is, and there's an argument could be made that's just as selfish too, but because when you help other people and you sacrifice for other people to make their lives better and to help them be a better person, it makes you feel better. It makes you a better person. And that's the number one key to it all. And that's why it works so well when you, you know, help people. It makes me feel better about myself. It's like replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you've filled the void, but you did it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I can't put it yeah. any other way. It's, That's it's, it's, super... it's just you you found a healthy way to fill the void inside of you. Could definitely see 
why people do it. Now, I mean, yeah, I mean, it works. I think that's one of the coolest things. As much as twelve-step groups have really just, I'm not a big fan of them for me personally. You know, the, I feel like that's one thing they do very well is get people to give back. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And, um, and that's super important for anybody in any life in general. You want to feel better about yourself, give back, go volunteer somewhere, go do something and help somebody. Like when you're talking about the individualism um, aspect about it, I, I firmly agree about that. Mm-hmm. No two journey, two journeys can be similar, but they'll never be exactly the same. What works for one person might not work for another person. And throwing people into an overall, like, just group will never work. I think it's important people find what works, what doesn't, and go with that. My issue with with the whole AA thing is a lot of the stuff you hear is just regurgitated babble from something they heard from their sponsor. And some people Mm -hmm. are, are too afraid to form their own opinion about something. I mean, which, you know what, my choices got me here. So obviously, you know, listening to myself all the time, obviously isn't the best idea. But at a certain point, I'm not going to say I don't like something because my sponsor's telling me, yo, that's not good. Don't like that. Me as a person, I took the guidance and as long as I understood it and Mm -hmm. understood why but i'm big against people shunning people on maintenance you know i think it's gross it is totally disrespectful and people that say you can't collect clean time at na because you're on suboxone yeah medical assisted treatment it's so how how have you gone through the steps and smashed your ego if you're telling people not to collect clean time if it works for them if their lives are getting better and they're happy, isn't that the whole point? That's why why take away, why not lift the people up next to you and pat them on the back instead of finding something that you guys are similar on and diminish the work that they're doing? Mm-hmm. You know, AA, a lot of NA has evolved from AA and, you know, there, there were old problems or their old solution for old problems. Times are different now. You know, the chemical, your, the way your brain's changed once being addicted to opiates for so long and being able to have some of that weight lifted off your shoulder, especially in the beginning, I'm all for. I firmly believe if it wasn't for medication, I'd probably still be addicted to opiates. You know, I, I'm still on maintenance and, you know, I do have a plan eventually to get off. But it's a great tool. Yeah. No, it's 100%. A I, I would just never want to see someone work their ass off and actually stop using and start making strides to making their life better to feel discredited just because someone chose to do it differently. I'm very against it. Yeah, that's an awesome point. And that a lot of that does go on. Even like family members I've talked to doing like groups down at um, an organization, you know, called Save the Michaels in uh, Western New York here. And I would talk to parents and they'd be like, oh, the whole world's on Suboxone or, you know, methadone or whatever. And they have such an issue with it. And I remember saying to the person, just because you know one person who abused Suboxone doesn't mean everybody's abusing it who's on it. And it, it, one of the biggest things is, it's the people who try to just do that and not work on anything else in themselves. Those people are the ones who aren't going to make it, who aren't going to last because you're only taking, you can't just take a medicine and expect everything else to be better. No, 100%. I mean, you have to work on those flaws inside your personality. You have to work on those flaws inside of you. Yeah. And I, 
I guess kind of uh, I'll wrap some stuff up here with you. Like my final question is I kind of always ask people when they're on here, what does the treatment provider world look like to you in like 10 years from now? Like if everything happened the way you should, you think it should happen or the way it should be, you know, how do, how do you see things? So I've had this idea now that I think it would work great. So I just wanted to touch on really quick, just the worst feeling in the world is after being clean for a little while and making a mistake and getting shunned by your peers Mm -hmm. is terrible. So when we have people relapse at the house, I, I sit them down. I go, listen, this isn't the end of the world. You're not getting shunned. Go get help. Come right back. People are dying out there. Don't feel embarrassed. Most people die in active addiction. What we're doing is not normal and it is not easy. Don't give up. Don't think that, you know, I when I did do the NA thing and people would relapse, it'd be the talk of the room. Everyone would just start immediately saying what they didn't like about the person. This and it just like I wouldn't why wouldn't want to go back to that. Yeah. I, you know how much it takes to walk back in the room and look at those people in the eyes and like feel like everyone's staring. It deters people. So it, it, I just wanted to throw that out there. But no, I think that's friggin' a huge point because we both have known people that have slipped up, had a couple of beers, gotten kicked out of an Oxford house, and just said fuck it because they felt so terrible and yeah. shitty about themselves and they went right back out to using a one guy one guy we know that was at a oxford house i mean he was ended up in the hospital he had to have heart surgery and everything yeah. and it's it's messed up man for somebody slipping up like anything else in life change is difficult in every aspect of every human being's life when you want to change something it is hard and you have setbacks and to have that bring you down completely it's messed up for anybody to point a finger at anybody for that no, for sure. Back to my idea. So people are familiar with Oxford houses, but my idea is similar. I think a lot of people have to find something that they're proud of or some kind of forward progress in their life to get a career, to make some money, to become self-sufficient, you know, something to be proud of. I would love to see like an Oxford house for trades that mm-hmm. takes guys in, that sets them up with a bank account that puts away 80% of their pay into this bank account. You know, they get to keep their 20 or 30%, you know, start them with just lawn care, start them with construction, um, plumbing, construction, plumbing, roofing, get them a job, help them save money to eventually, you know, go out on their own, help them with their finances, you know, give them enough to be comfortable, but enough to, to save and let them work work their way up, you know, mm-hmm. learn more skills and then teach the next set of guys. A lot of guys, including myself, got stuck in the, you know, all right, I, I got clean now. I'm getting it. I, I, I'm going to work, but I'm only making $12 an hour. I don't feel proud of myself. I have enough, just enough to pay the bills. Can't if, save. if not, I'm short. And at that point, it's like, what am I doing this all for? And you end up picking up because your life does. You feel like you haven't achieved anything, mm-hmm. you know. So I think something with that, and you probably get some grants, some people advertising on TV, like Second Chance Construction. Someone's like, "Well, people might be weary about having these kind of people work on your house, but ninety percent of the people doing are, construction oh are, gosh, are, are, crazy are addicts. active addicts." Yeah. So if anything, it'd probably be safer for the it's, homeowner. It sucks when it comes with that label. Yeah, it's really frustrating but, and annoying. 
Yeah. But I think that's an awesome idea because as I was walking around downtown the other day taking pictures for four hours, I thought, why aren't they going into rehabs and doing this stuff and teaching people traits and teaching people hobbies? Because that's one of the biggest things. People get clean and they don't know what to do. Yep. Um, what do I do? I just yeah. go work at Rite Aid? Yeah. You know, and that's I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. It's, it's like... You get clean, but now how are you actually going to, you know, because you have to, you know. So many things come along with getting clean. Yeah. yeah. But just becoming self-sufficient. There is no better feeling than going to sleep at night knowing that you are you created this or your hard work did this and people can depend on you. You know, there's, there's a natural high that comes from that. Like, mm-hmm. not to go into the, like, the, the stereotypic, you know, be a man, but like... It's fulfilling. No, but even more so be a grown-up, responsible yeah, adult. exactly. It's and fulfilling. you have to learn that. You yeah. have to learn how to do that all over again, yeah. especially if you've been using from a very young age, your teenage years and up. You have no idea, no concept of how to even take clean a house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally. No, no, And that's 100%. stuff you got to really learn and get back into and feel like you are not being a useless piece of crap in society. I yeah. think that's super huge. Yeah, I love that idea. I, w- I do wish like Oxford houses did more of that can almost like an access VR where you can live. Yeah. And they teach you help you put money and away. If you don't, and, yeah. and if you don't get up Monday through Friday and, you know, learn your trade, then you, you get kicked out. Yeah. You can go to a, a house that doesn't make you do that. And if you did that for even just a little while, when you did get kicked out, you'd have a little chunk of money, get your own apartment. You're mm-hmm. not just kicked out and going to a homeless shelter yeah. or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it has potential. I really do. It's something if if my, you know, long-term plan go, goes in and works, that's something I'm going to try doing that that's, that's a great that's, idea that's my that's my end goal is to try getting some foreclosure properties fix them up and just start teaching guys that like me that spent you know their 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 teens and their 20s partying and not going to school or having a trade or some kind of way to make money and and feel good about ourselves and be uh, self-sufficient you know give them that and give them a chance to really find a new way of living yeah you know? i think that's a fucking great idea bro yeah sweet well uh thanks for hopping on here for an hour with me yep thank you i appreciate it. we gotta uh do this more often brother yeah i'm, I'm done all right dude i'll talk to you later all right all right all right all right hope you guys enjoyed that it's an awesome time sitting down with Jeremy and talking. If you'd like to find out more information and stay up to date with Room 9, make sure you get to our website, room9podcast.com. Check out what's going on, fill out contact forms, read our blog, listen to the podcast, share it. I have video stuff coming soon. I got pictures coming soon. It is all happening very fast, and it is exciting. So I hope you guys are excited too. I will be in touch. Talk to you later. Much love. Stay encouraged. Stay strong. Learn from your failures and all that other jazz I say at the end of every episode. All right. Love you guys. Peace.